Last week we um, began to look at Jesus' friend, Peter, uh, to see how the Lord moved him to a place of more contentment uh, in his own personal life. And uh, we saw that when Jesus met Peter, the very first thing he said to Peter, he, changed, he gave him an additional name. He said, you're Simon, but you're going to be Peter. You're going to become Peter. Why? Because the Lord had a better plan for Peter's life than Peter had for himself. And the Lord had a better purpose for Peter's life than Peter had for himself. A plan and a purpose. And I want to suggest to you that um, those two things are true of anybody who touches attaches themselves to the person of Christ uh, through faith. That God actually has a better plan for our life than we could ever come up with. He restores our soul. And he has a better purpose for our life than anything we could ever come up with. Remember, Peter was a fisherman, and Jesus said, you're going to become a fisher of men. And so, in the Bible, the 12 uh, who followed Jesus, the the people that he picked to follow him the closest, uh, sometimes are called disciples. And uh, the word disciple is very simple. It just means student or learner. And, uh, and then at other times, they're called apostles. And the word apostle is, again, very simple. It just means messenger or sent one. And uh, these two words, disciple and apostle, kind of capture this great plan that God has for our lives and the great purpose that God has for our lives. And so um, Peter went from being Simon to being Peter, Uh, in his own personal life, as the Lord kind of restored his soul. And then um, as he became this apostle, this ambassador on behalf of Christ, to move out into the world, when we get into the book of Acts, we see Peter, you know, being this spokesperson for the kingdom of God and uh, being privileged and entrusted with the good news of the gospel. So in Luke chapter 6, Luke writes like this. He says, um, one of those days when when Jesus... um, went to the mountainside to pray, he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called the disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So there's this twofold thing always going on in people's lives who are attached to Christ. Uh, We're learners first, and then we're to take what God teaches us, and we're apostles, and move out. Now, in a very technical sense, you know, there was only 12, and, and so on and so forth. But in a general sense, God has this plan and this great uh, purpose uh, for us. And um, I think uh, Mark's uh, gospel, in Mark's gospel, Jesus also um, says a similar thing. In Mark chapter 3, in verse 13, uh, Mark's description is like this. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might first be with him, and then that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons and so on and so forth. And so there's this, there's this twofold work that God is at in our lives, first with a better plan for us to restore our souls, and, uh, and then with a better purpose for us to uh, be a part of something eternal, to be a part of the kingdom of God, no matter where we're going. Now, uh, this group of 12 that Jesus chose, um, and I think in the church today, uh, was made up of people who are very different from one another, right? They, they weren't all like cookie cutters. And uh, sometimes I think, you know, when we get in uh, the Christian community, sometimes we think we have an idea of how everybody should be kind of like us, you know. 
and uh, the world would be better if everybody were just more like me. And, uh, but when you look at the 12 people that Jesus picked, you realize they had different personalities, uh, they had different abilities, they had different affinities, different likes and dislikes, they had different idiosyncrasies. Uh, they, they just were different from one another. And, and, and even though God has a better plan and a better purpose for all of us, uh, we're, we're still unique in the way that God made us. And in our um, um, makeup of experiences and who, uh, what, what parents God gives us and, and, and all the rest of it, all by design. And, and so this uniqueness, I think that God values, I think we see it right here in the original group of 12. You had uh, Simon the Zealot. Uh, uh, it's kind of like a terrorist, right? Simon is like he hated the Roman Empire. And so the, the zealots were people who were always trying to figure out ways to get the Roman Empire off the Jews' backs, you know? And then right in the same group, you've got Matthew, who's a tax collector for the Roman government. And I'm like, how do these two guys get along? This guy, Matthew, was probably considered by most Jewish people to be a traitor. You know, he kind of sold out to the Roman government and collected taxes from the Jews and lined his pockets and, and so on and so forth. And yet Jesus has these uh, two people right in the same uh, group. Uh, Thomas, the doubter, you know, four of these guys were just fishermen and so on. Uh, most were from Galilee, not from metropolitan Jerusalem, where you would try to go to find some influential people who could, you know, put the gospel on the map. Uh, they were just regular people is the point. They were just like us. They were just regular people. Uh, there was no great debaters in the original 12, not until the Apostle Paul was added. Do you find, you know, uh, somebody like that? But there was no brilliant, you know, world-renowned teachers. There's no great orators. Uh, there's no philosophers or big writers, just regular people. And um, <clears throat> as you follow through on the Gospels, you see that Jesus had to teach them how to pray. He had to teach them um, how to serve. He had to teach them how to forgive. He had to teach them right from wrong. You know, um, he had to reveal uh, what was coming in the future. Uh, he had to teach them how to love. And, uh, and through the Gospels, Jesus is saying things like we read this morning. He said, you know, in Matthew 15, he's like, are you guys still so dull? You know, uh, in our passage this morning, uh, you know, why do you doubt? Why do you still doubt? He says to Peter. And, um, you know, he says things like, do you still not understand? And so on. And so not one of these guys was a rabbi. Not one of these guys was a scribe or a Pharisee or even a priest. Um, in the original 12, there was nobody from the establishment of Judaism, which was kind of, a, I think, an intentional slap in the face uh, on what Judaism had become. But it was all part of a plan, right? Because Jesus came to his own, his own received him not, and, and so forth. They were hostile to the gospel. Hostile to the gospel. And so I just want to remind you again, you know, Christianity is a dynamic relationship with a person. And it's the person of Jesus who is Emmanuel, God, with us. It's a relationship to a person. Religion is a status quo laws and ceremonies kind of a deal. Uh, Christianity is about good news. Religion is about good advice. And there's a world of difference between good news and good advice. Right? And so uh, it's important for us to understand that Christianity is about truth and grace. Religion is about ritual and works. Uh, Christianity uh, is unique, and uh, it didn't fit into Judaism. It was something new. It's an Old Testament and a New Testament. God was doing something new that he had planned all the time. So religion is hostile to the gospel. And, and it's really hard sometimes for people to understand and to draw that line between what God offers us in Christ 
and what religion is all about. But my point is that God chose kind of nobodies for this task. And the only thing really powerful about the 12 was the power of the message, not the power of the messenger. It's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It's the good news of the gospel that's powerful. And uh, that message in any one of us is powerful enough to change eternity for the next person. And, and so we just need to know that and we need to see that. And so I, I want to say Peter today is impetuous and, and he's impulsive. And when he first starts out walking with the Lord, uh, he's, he's, he's a unique kind of character. And uh, we read from Matthew chapter 14 this morning, as you all read. And uh, like Margie said, you know, at least Peter's out of the boat, right? At least Peter's not like stuck in a comfort zone that says, I'm never going to risk anything. At least Peter gets out of the boat. And, and it's important, I think, when you think about this um, passage to recognize uh, Jesus is walking on top of the storm. He's walking on top of the storm. Now, we're talking about contentment. And um, I want to say that contentment happens when, in the midst of the storms of our life, we all have problems, we all have storms, there's always things coming our way. In this world, you will have trouble, right? Jesus promised it. Okay, so when those things come, part of contentment is being able to walk on top of the storm. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and he's walking on top of the storm. And uh, prior to this, they're all terrified and so forth, but he starts walking on, on top of the storm. And I want to say that, you know, when you can walk on top of the storms of your life, that's a step in the direction of being content. You know, when, when, when there's that supernatural ability to be able to walk on top of the storms that come your way. Um, but um, all of a sudden, you know, uh, Peter's out there, he's stepping out in faith, it's the Lord, you know, and... But he no sooner gets out there and, you know, right, he takes his eyes off the Lord and he looks at the storm and he says, what am I doing here? And all of a sudden he looks at the wind, he looks at the storm, he looks at the problem, he looks at the nonsense of what he's doing here. And as soon as his focus goes off the Lord and onto the problem, all of a sudden he starts to sink. And then he does what we all do when, when we sink. We scream out to the Lord, help me, save me. You know, and the Lord immediately reaches out his hand and uh, holds him up and so forth. But the question is, you know, why do you doubt me, Jesus? The penetrating question that Jesus asks here is, you know, why do you doubt me? And so, um, again, I think we can all relate here. Are you focused on the Lord who able, enables us to walk on top of the storm? Or are you focused on the storm and feel like, wow, you know, I'm sinking here. I'm not, I'm not on top. I'm, I'm going down. And, uh, you know, oftentimes I think that it works out this way that, you know, we start out by kind of stepping out in faith. And we have this idea of how it's going to work. And we no sooner take a step and all of a sudden what we thought was going to be just isn't the way it is. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, my goodness, I'm really out here now on a limb or in the ocean on top of the water, but I'm sinking. And... Uh, I think it's uh, instructive for us to recognize that Peter started out this way. But as time goes on, if you uh, just keep your finger back in 1 Peter, back towards the end of the Bible, you know, by the time um, Peter gets a few years older and starts writing in 1 Peter chapter 1 and uh, verse 6 and 7, listen to Peter now, uh, you know, years after this incident, what he's learned and how he writes to us. He says, you know, in this you greatly rejoice. He's talking about our salvation. He says, in your salvation, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
These have come so that your faith, so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's refined, so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus comes back. What about all these troubles, these problems? What are they for? Well, Peter kind of learned from the Lord, you know, at the front end, he, he didn't appreciate those things, and he looked at them and didn't know what to do and so forth, but he learned in time that all of these problems and trials are designed so that our faith, which is more valuable than anything in this life, can be proved genuine. Because that's going to really be important. I love in First in Peter, just across the page there, in verse um, 13, Peter says this, he says, you know, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope, set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus comes back. (laughs) I think, wow, Peter learned that. Like, don't you kind of set your hope on just getting through the storms? You know, don't you sort of set your hope in this life and say, well, I, I just hope that the Lord will do this or deliver me from that and fix this and fix that and so Peter says, listen, set your hope fully, fully, like put all your hope on the day you meet Jesus. (laughs) Who lives like that? Peter. Not in the beginning, but he learned as time went on how to put his hope in what God was doing in his life and put his hope on that moment when he would come uh, and, and, and see Jesus face to face. So, First of all, I would say to you, you know, that Peter is impulsive. He's impetuous. Um, he, he does things. He gets out of the boat, and then he thinks about it afterwards. What am I doing out here, right? But not only does he do things, he says things. He says things, and I'm sure you can relate to this, but he says things, and they're out of his mouth, and then he thinks about them afterwards, right? Can you relate to that? I mean, he means well like most of us. And um, if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17, just I'm just going to you know, go through a few incidents here. In Matthew chapter 17 is the transfiguration of Jesus, right? You remember this? Uh, verse 1 says, After six days Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transformed before them. <clears throat> His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. This must have been quite a scene, right? And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now I skipped verse 4. Because in the middle of that scene, Peter injects himself. Listen to what he says. Peter says to Jesus, hey, it's really good for us to be here. This is really cool. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And we can stay here. And God himself has to speak from heaven and say, Peter, be quiet. And listen, this is my son. You know? And so Peter, he means well. And uh, if you think about it, um, this, this scene 
uh, comes on the heels of Matthew 16, which is a very important passage, you know, in, in the Gospels. And Matthew chapter 16 is the first time that somebody uh, declares who Jesus is. And, of course, it's our friend Peter. You remember this in verse 13 of Matthew 16, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? So the disciples have a committee meeting, and they're casting votes. And they're like, you know, well, some say you're John the Baptist who came back, you know, after Herod beheaded him. And uh, others say that you're Elijah because, you know, Elijah was taken up and never really died. And uh, other people think you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, Jesus says, well, how about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Right? It's the first big declaration. And uh, then, you know, Jesus talks about uh, Peter's confession, and he talks about it being the rock, and, and so forth. And then um, in verse 21, it says that uh, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he has to go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be ra- raised to life. He begins to explain to them what's going to happen to him. All right, verse 22, Peter took him aside, right, and he began to rebuke him. Here's Peter. you got to love Peter. All right? So listen, this is just never Lord. It's an oxymoron. Right? He's calling him Lord, but he's arguing with him. He's calling him Lord, but he's fighting with him. He's calling him Lord, but he's telling him he's wrong. That's Peter, right? It's out of his mouth before he thinks about it. So Jesus turns and he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That was strong. Jesus recognized kind of where this was coming from. And uh, you're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now, in that one short scene, you're going from Peter having this revelation from God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, to Peter saying, oh, no, you're not going to die on my watch. It's just not going to happen, right? And, And it's on the heels of that that you have the transfiguration. It's kind of like... Here's Jesus telling all the disciples, I'm going to die, but I want you to understand who I really am. And then you have this transfiguration where the glory is returned to Jesus. He emptied himself of his glory to come and be our Savior, but the glory comes back for a moment so that these three disciples, including Peter, can see who he is and learn to listen and not argue with him. And, and, and so, you know, but it's Peter, and Peter's Peter, and it's kind of who he is. And so, you know, Peter's like, as soon as the transfiguration happens, he's like, hey, it's really good to be here. Let's build a house and stay. And again, um, I just think it's interesting that God actually speaks from heaven and says, you know, this is my son whom I love. Be quiet and listen. Don't be arguing with him. Uh, he is the Lord, and you don't want to be telling him what he can and can't do. And uh, you know that song, uh, I Can Only Imagine? It's a song about what's going to happen the first time you lay eyes on Jesus someday. I can only imagine what I might do. Well, this is what Peter did the, you know, when he saw the Lord for who he really is. I uh, just wanted to stay there, you know. And uh, it's interesting that when God speaks, he doesn't speak about Moses or Elijah. They fade out. They're gone. He only speaks about the Lord. And, of course, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets, right, in the scriptures. Moses, you know, gave the Ten Commandments, the law, and uh, Elijah is a representative of all the prophets who prophesied about the coming of Jesus, and they fade out. 
And God says, this is my son. This is whom all the law and the prophets led up to. This is the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the prophecies of Scripture. And from now on, the way that you're going to relate to me is through Jesus. Uh, But can you relate to Peter? Have you ever said things, you know, and you mean well, but it's kind of a zeal without knowledge. Remember Paul says to the Jewish people, he says, you have a zeal for God, but you don't know what you're talking about. And and so Peter, you know, uh, he's kind of like that. And, uh, you know, in, in, in other translations uh, say that Peter said, you know, should we erect a tent here? And, of course, in the Old Testament, God's presence with the Jewish people was in the tent of meeting. And uh, so Peter's saying, you know, let's, let's, let's keep this going. Like, why go down the mountain? Why go back into the world? Why uh, saddle me with that apostleship stuff? Why don't we just stay here and live this out? And, uh, and even God has to say, you know, Peter, just be quiet. Just be quiet. Um, Another place, um, in John's gospel, in John chapter 13, uh, another incident, I think, uh, that uh, again reveals this kind of impulsiveness with Peter. Uh, This is the uh, last meal that Jesus is having with his disciples. You remember this. And um, in chapter 13, uh, verse 1, you'll notice that it says, um, Jesus knew that his time had come. Six times before this in the Gospel of John, it says, Jesus said, it was not my time. It was not my time. People were trying to force him to do it. It's not my time. It's not the time. Well, now he says, you know, uh, Jesus knew that his time had come. And so verse 2, the evening meal was being served, and uh, the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, right? And Peter, I can just imagine him kind of going around the table and everybody's kind of thinking about what Jesus is doing. He gets to Peter and Peter's like, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Right? And Jesus said, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. That's a really important, isn't that how faith works? Can I tell you, Christianity asks us to trust a person, not our own understanding. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try to understand everything that God's trying to teach us, and we want to understand everything we can, but there are times in the Christian life where you just don't understand. And Jesus is saying to Peter, I want you to trust me that I know what I'm doing, and then later you'll understand. I was talking to a uh, gentleman yesterday, actually, and um, <clears throat> he, he was in World War II, and he was shot, and uh, he was telling me, you know, at the time, I could not understand why God allowed this to happen to me. And now, in his old age, uh, he receives this money, which really sustains him, and uh, he, he gives God all the credit, like God knew I would need this at this point in my life, and, you know, he connects the dots between, you know, I didn't understand then, Why is this happening to me? But now when I look back, I see that it's one of the ways that the Lord has provided for me. And uh, I think that's what the Lord is saying to Peter. You don't don't get this, Peter. You you just don't get it. But, you know, just be quiet and trust me. I'm the Lord, right? 
So you got to love this, right? Here's Peter, right? Jesus says, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, says Peter. <laughs> Lord, no. <laughs> it just doesn't, you know. Um, and, and so he says, no, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Unless Jesus washes your sins away, there's no way you can connect with God. Right? Unless I wash you, right? And then Peter, right? So Simon Peter, uh, the Lord, then, then, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. You know, give me a bath then. Don't just do my feet, but wash all of me. And again, Jesus has to tell him, you know, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who it was that was going to betray him and and so on. So, again, I'm going to suggest to you that, um, you know, when you become a Christian, the the big picture is settled. But every day we have contact with the world and we get contaminated. And I think what the Lord is saying here is that, you know, part of contentment is keeping short accounts with the Lord. And so when we become aware uh, every day as we encounter the world and, and touch the world and we sin and we let the Lord down and so forth, that every day as we keep short accounts and we confess and we you know, stay close to him, that the contentment is found in this ongoing process of God cleansing us and changing us and sanctifying us and making us increasingly like Christ. And Peter just, you know, he, he just didn't understand this, but the Lord says to him, you don't need to understand, you just need to trust me. I'm going to wash your feet. Now sit down and give me your feet, you know. And uh, so I think we need this daily uh, keeping short accounts. It's it's part of contentment. And again, if you go back to 1 Peter, uh, eventually Peter uh, understands this. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, um, here's, here's Peter writing now. Think of this incident, you know, when he was young. And now he's writing. And uh, think how he's changed. In verse uh, 5, he says, um, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourself in humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. And so, Again, Peter kind of, he had this kind of his own agenda that eventually got surrendered to God's agenda for his life. And it changed him. And he was humbled. And uh, he's like, you know, don't argue with the Lord. Don't call him Lord and then argue with him and debate him and and say no to him and so on. Uh, Another incident uh, in John, John chapter 18. And again, I think you're probably familiar with all of these incidents, but... In John chapter 18, uh, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. Um, and uh, Judas, of course, is with them, and they're armed, the Bible says, probably like 100 soldiers. And uh, they're armed. They get people from the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Jewish establishment and so forth. In verse 10, you know, they come to arrest Jesus. And then Simon Peter, verse 10, uh, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Now, I don't know, Peter's got a sword, there's a hundred soldiers, what's Peter going to do? 
Most people think that, you know, he was aiming to take the guy's head off, and the guy ducked, and he just sliced his ear off. And uh, Luke tells us that Jesus healed the ear, put the ear back on the guy, and, um, you know, and then he, he says to Peter, verse 11, the next verse, you know, put your sword away. You know, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Again, Peter didn't get it. Peter didn't understand what was going on. And, uh, you know, when you think about this whole thing, uh, to drink the cup is a Hebrew um, metaphor, which means to receive an event in your life as coming directly from the hand of God. Isaiah talks like this. Jeremiah talks about this. uh, Ezekiel uh, talks about this in the Old Testament. And I think to myself, you know, if Peter had only understood prophecy, if he had only read like Isaiah chapter 53 and understood this is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Peter, it came from your own lips. And uh, if you knew the prophecies that God had revealed about what's going to happen to this Messiah, like in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, Peter might have understood and might not have embarrassed the Lord and might not have needed to be corrected once again by Jesus, you know, and uh, have Jesus kind of clean up after him, right? But he's so impulsive, and uh, he, he, he... I just want to suggest that another step in the direction of contentment is to know what God wants you to know about the future. What God has revealed in the scriptures about what's coming and what's in front of us is a great step to understand in the process of getting to that place where we're content in the midst of uh, the storms and the problems and, and everything else that we have. Eventually, uh, again, in 1 Peter chapter 4, Eventually, would P- Peter would write like this in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, the first couple of verses, uh, Peter would say this, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. I mean, at first, Peter's like, oh, you're not going to suffer, you're not going to die on my watch, I'll get up my sword, I'll fight a hundred guys for you, you know, I mean, who do you think you are, Daniel? Come on, you know? And so, um, it says, uh, since Christ suffered in his body, Arm yourself with the same attitude. Are you willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. Okay? Here's, I think, a, a key to contentment. But rather for the will of God, for God's desires. Peter kind of recognizes that as we live out our lives, we have two choices. We have our desires, and we have God's desires for us, right? We have God's plan and God's purpose, and then we have our plan and our purpose. We have our desires, our human desires, and then we have God's desires. And and behind every decision is one of those motivations. If you think about it, life is full of decisions, right? We're always making decisions about all different... We're making decisions about our social life, We're making decisions about our psychological life. We're making decisions about our family life. Uh, We're making decisions about our financial life. Uh, We're we're constantly making decisions. We're making decisions about our spiritual life. We're always making these decisions. And and Peter recognized there's two motivations behind every decision that we ever make. It's either our desire, human desires, or it's God's desires. And I think what Peter discovered is that contentment is found when our desires are God's desires for us. And when they match up and when they come together, 
And when we give ourselves to his desires and so forth, I think uh, when Peter went from, when he went from Simon to being Peter, he went from human desires to God's desires. You know, so much of our human desire is uh, kind of laced with uh, selfishness, right? Just wanting everything for ourselves. Uh, pride, just, you know, thinking that we're better than the next person. Or vanity, just wanting to be praised and, and wanting to be well-liked and so forth. And sometimes our decisions, uh, human decisions, are motivated by fear. You know, like Peter gets out of the boat and he looks at the storm and, you know. And, uh, or just uh, defending our rights, like Peter trying to whack off this guy's head. But things changed for Peter as he gave the Lord more and more room in his life. And as his heart was bonded to the very heart of God and through faith in the person of Christ and so forth, I think he got to the place where he was so contented with this great salvation, this unconditional love, this uh, free forgiveness in Christ's blood, and this promise of eternal life with the Lord forever that Peter began to see from now until the day he died in a different light. And he began to kind of bring his desires in line with God's desires for God's plan and God's purpose in his life. And that's what created this sense of contentment. And I think it's the same for us that, um, you know, we learned from Romans. The Apostle Paul said uh, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 that the mind that's set on human desires is death. I mean, if you follow that out and just do whatever you want, you're going to find out that your life's going to kind of unwind. Uh, But the mind set on the spirit, Paul says in Romans 8, is life and peace, which I'd say is contentment. (laughs) The mind set on the desires of God is a life of life and peace, or what we're calling contentment. And so Peter learned contentment, I think, as he impulsively stumbled forward. And there are other incidents in Peter's life that we'll look at, you know, in the next uh, couple of weeks. But uh, I just uh, think it's so important to see that where Peter started out is not where he ends. And when you take these incidents in his life and you try to think about the motivations and why he did what he did and why he said what he said, and then you see where by the time he's writing First and Second Peter how he had changed and how his mind had changed and how his uh, spirit had changed, uh, you see that God is working like like uh, molding right into him this uh, level of contentment, this transformation of his life. Because God had a better plan for him and a better purpose for him. And Peter wanted it. And as that process unfolded, Peter found the contentment that God intends for him him and us uh, to live with. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your word, the Bible, and for... um, the way that you uh, don't hide uh, any of the realities of Peter's life. And I thank you, Father, that we're able to kind of track the progress uh, and and take our own lives and kind of put them in Peter's shoes and kind of see how you worked with Peter and how uh, the different things that you taught Peter along the way that enabled him to become the person that uh, you saw was in him and the leader in the early church and a force for you for the kingdom of God. And so uh, it's easy for us, I think, to identify ourselves with Peter at various points. We all do things, and then we kind of get out of the boat, and all of a sudden we realize, you know, we're in over our heads, and, and our focus goes off of you, and what we can do ourselves, and things start to unravel. Uh, and all these different incidents, we've all said things, Father, that uh, are out of our mouths before we think. And uh, especially when it comes to Jesus being our Lord. Think of that uh, passage where Jesus asked the question, you know, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I tell you? 
and you don't do the things that I say. And uh, all of us, I think, can relate to that. And so as we uh, come to worship you, we come humbly. We come thankful, Father, that we can learn from Peter, and we come with confidence that you, Father, will not abandon us, but that you will keep working into us, that, that once you begin a good work in us, you will see it through until the end. And what a great promise that is. And so thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. We're sorry uh, for the ways that we disappoint you, and we just ask that you would uh, lead us and have your way with us for Jesus' sake. Amen.